The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 podcast network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, pumped to join you on another Monday here in beautiful Tallahassee, where spirits have not been this high in a while after Florida State's exhilarating win over rival Miami for the first time in five years on Saturday. Uh, when in, I think Jack, Jack O'Reilly, who's in studio with us, he called it the, the, the Van Dyke Spike, if I'm, if I'm correct. That's the <laughs> official nickname we're rolling with here. Uh, we'll get to him in a second. But we are here to break down exactly what that win means for this program moving forward and a whole lot more in the great world of sports. But first, joining me as always in the co-host chair, Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, how you doing, bud? Oh, man, what a weekend. But I won't actually t- talk about any sports. I'm actually going to surprise you, Luke. Oh. I watched Moneyball this weekend. Wow. <laughs> We're talking movies here here on, on the Tomahawk Talk Show. Right some baseball, baseball homework for once. Well, how do you, uh, you like it? How do you like it? I, I, I hold it to be one of the two best baseball movies of all time with Major League, so I'm interested to hear your opinion on is it. Is the other one uh, Field for Dreams? No, no, no. My, my, the other one is Major League, but that's more okay, of a comedy. Yeah. I think Moneyball is the best, the best drama, though. So what, what do you think of Moneyball, though? You know, if Brad Pitt actually played baseball, I think I'd be a huge fan. <laughs> but unfortunately, he doesn't. But it was, it was really cool. It was uh, much more of a doc- documentary because it's a real story. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that because it actually let me see kind of like the, the backstory of what, you know, the, the A's wear and, and kind of what the, the Moneyball philosophy is because yeah. it's really interesting uh, coming into to baseball. I think it's... It's something that, um, as as a as an amateur, I'm I'm just really curious how you can even implement that in other sports. Yeah, and it's certainly it's it, it's it's been inspiring for a lot of, a lot of people that want to get into baseball, like myself. So uh, I I always love it. Brad Pitt would, who knows? Maybe Brad Pitt would have made a better uh, major <laughs> league player than than Billy Bean himself uh, with his struggles there. But awesome movie, and it's awesome to hear from you, Gabe, here in the co-host chair. Uh, also joining me on the panel tonight, William Hayes. Hey, how you doing, Will? It's great to be here. Moneyball is one of my favorite movies, period. Not just sports movies, but movies in general. If you watch that movie and don't come out liking baseball, something is wrong with you. And as a Rays fan myself, it's nice to have something like that at a Hollywood level that really represents what we have to go through. It's a, it's a terrific picture. And uh, great week of Seminole sports. Everything going well, football, basketball, soccer. So... Uh, from an FSU perspective, a lot of things going right right now. Yeah, and speaking of the Rays, I guess Randy Rosarena just did Rookie of the Year. Senor Octobre, man, he's gonna be he's gonna be a big part of this team moving forward. Yeah, well, we're feeling Randy here in the studio tonight, and also joining us uh, is Jack Oliaro. Jack, how you doing, bud? Oh, I'm doing good. I have not seen Moneyball, so I'm gonna have to <laughs> probably catch up. So I'm not the only one in the room who hasn't seen it. Well, if you, if you want a breakdown on it. Of course, the V89 Podcast Network, Graveyard Shift. We broke it, a whole bracket of movies down for you, and Moneyball was one of those. All right, I'll have to look at that. <laughs> and I know, Jack, you went down to watch uh, the Florida State men's team play in Gainesville, mm-hmm. uh, going for their, I believe, eighth straight win over uh, over Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, how was that experience down there? Uh, Gainesville is a little nasty, but no. <laughs> actually, overall, it was a great experience. It was 
not a bad drive, and I had a great time down in Gainesville. Uh, shame the game did not turn out the same way, though, for the Seminoles, as uh, the seven-game uh, win streak is over for the Noles with a pretty rough loss to the Gators. But you end you end your four-year drought to the Hurricanes, you end your your seven-year win streak over the Gators, so... Trade off for you win one, you win one, you lose one. Back yeah, days. certainly a lot of room to grow for that for that program right there as Absolutely. they they kind of mesh together as the season goes on. Uh, and as always, scout out to Scott Clemens, Sebastian Angeliano in the booth on the ones and twos, uh, making sure we sound better than we deserve to. And shout out to Tom Lang. Tom Lang is the producer over at the Jeff Cameron Show, a fellow uh, FSU beat. They break down everything in Seminole sports. I'm not going to give them a, a direct uh, endorsement here. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to or not. But a shout-out to Tom for cutting up that montage that we heard uh, leading in. I, I, I wanted to save that, especially instead of Seminole win today, just because of the occasion. And let's get right into the occasion, uh, gentlemen, because FSU by far played their game of the year this last Saturday. I think it was by far uh, their best effort against probably their toughest uh, opponent that they've won a game against. I know North Carolina beat Miami straight up, but the way that Miami uh, came into this ball game, I thought it was going to be really tough for FSU, and I think this is their best win of the season so far as they move to 4-6. and six. They win it 31-28, a last-second victory for the Seminoles over the Miami Hurricanes, and what an absolute treat it was to be in the stands for this game uh, in what was my and a lot of other seniors here that have been through so much with this program uh, through the Willie Taggart era and the Mike Norvella. That was, for a lot of us, our last home game, uh, getting to watch FSU in action, and they saved the best for last. But I can I can personally, personally say with complete conviction that that was the best game that I've been to since I've been a student here at Florida State. Uh, the atmosphere, I think, was on par with Virginia Tech, uh, my first game here when... when FSU lost them, and I th- I'll be honest, I thought it was on par with the Notre Dame game from earlier this year, which we thought was an electric atmosphere, and of course, the difference is, FSU comes up on top in this game, uh, and what a roller coaster of a game it was, and kind of emblematic of the season that we've seen from the Seminoles team, uh, you know, they go up 20-7 to early in the first and second quarters, uh, they blow a huge opportunity in the second, getting the ball to start the second half, they fumble away their chances, Miami starts to get it rolling, and then they have to they have to rally back from down late in the ball game to win it 31-28. A couple of just huge key plays made by Jordan Travis, and as well as the, the defense clamping down late against uh, Miami a uh, Miami offense. But uh, Gabe, I'll go to you before we even get to break down what happened in this game. Uh, how was your experience getting to cover the game uh, from from the booth? Yeah, I went to cover the game for the FSU and. It was it was insane. I mean, it's it's Miami FSU. It doesn't get better than that. And it was hard for anybody up there to actually contain their emotions. You could internally hear the the screaming going on uh, during that fourth and fourteen, and in, in the tip pass for Miami scoring a touchdown, everyone was just going insanely nuts. Um, but even then, I, I thought it was a really good game to watch. Uh, I wish I could have probably been in the stands, but it's okay. I, I enjoyed the time in the booth and. Um, Man, it, it was just a treat to be able to watch such a good football game for once uh, at Doak because you don't really get those that often. So, um, yeah, I was just very thrilled to, to be able to watch that game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I can tell you from the stands, it, it was 
it was awesome to finally get a moment like that for this, not only this program that is that has lacked it for a while, but for this team in particular and what they've been through this season, through the ups and downs that they've had, uh, for them to get a signature, and it, like we can call it a signature win. I don't care that they're still 4-6. and six. That is a signature win for Mike Norvell. The way that they won it, the, the style and the team that they beat, uh, just the atmosphere leading up to it, the desperation that you could feel from both of these teams trying to get a win late in this ballgame, realizing that it could go either two ways. Uh, it was, it, the, I mean, the tension was tangible in, in that stadium. And so, William, I'll go to you to get kind of your reaction uh, from the atmosphere at this game and, and, and what your main takeaway was from this game. It, it was a great game overall. I agree with you. I think it's the defining moment of the season and maybe of this entire team moving forward. I think certain position groups, Florida State is still outmanned when you compare them to this Miami team. But as a fan, they checked off a lot of boxes, a lot of things that you want to see. Uh, another terrific game plan on the offensive side of the ball. I was here after the Clemson game, and they had, had drawn up some terrific stuff in that first half. The same thing, getting a lot of offside penalties, um, just being able to move the ball when the pieces aren't necessarily there, but still putting up 31 points. Um, being able to, to swing the momentum back on your side, not having too many penalties, limiting turnovers, those kind of things. Uh, it's a disciplined team right now, and they played a terrific game overall. Yeah, you talked about the the great start that this team got off to, and Jack, I'll go to you to talk about uh, the the start to this game. Uh, FSU jumps on Miami really, really early, running the ball way better than they did last week against NC State, and the main difference was they had Jordan Travis back. We talked about it all last week, uh, the huge difference that you were going to see between last week and this week with with Jordan Travis coming back after uh, dealing with the flu. Uh, What a difference he made. As FSU jumps out to a 17 nothing lead and then a 27 uh, lead at the half, what did you see? What was the difference to you that you could see uh, between the offense last week and this week versus uh, a Miami defense? Uh, this was, uh, like I said, a night and day difference between McKenzie and Jordan. And everyone kept asking after the in the post in the NC State game was, is there a difference? And everyone denied it, and obviously they should. But it doesn't take a genius to see how much Jordan means to this offense. And one thing I'd like to point out is that uh, in the first drive, you get uh, you get the Miami three and out. Then FSU uh, drives down the field five uh, Miami penalties, which were instrumental to that opening drive. And then when FSU was up 17 nothing, um, the next score was followed by 28 to three, the infamous score yeah. for uh, <laughs> for uh, football fanatics everywhere. And yet FSU came out on top of that, and that is a like everyone said around here, it is a huge game. It's the biggest game in Norvell's tenure, and it, if if we want to look back and if this game if this team begins to climb and goes in the right direction, this is the game you're going to look at and say this is the defining this is the defining game that changed everything. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's a game that that Mike Norvell and this program can can hang their hat on and say like you know this art, this artwork it does pay off. It does pay off in the end to not quit on a season like we've seen so many college programs do over the last couple of weeks. And, and that's the story of college football right there, trying to maintain and corral these 18- to 22-year-olds and beyond and, and, and kind of get them focused on the same goal there. Uh, so I'll go, I'll go to you, Gabe, and, and the, the start to this game. Uh, what did you see from Florida State? And also, did you – because this was one of my – if anything, obviously Florida, Florida State takes a 20-7 to lead in the first half, but I actually had an issue with uh, – some of the calls that Mike Norvell was making, I thought up fourteen to nothing, 
and driving into the uh, – they had a fourth and goal, I think, from the four-yard line. Uh, and they, Mike Norvell elects to kick a field goal instead of uh, go for the touchdown there to kind of put it on Miami, uh, potentially go up 21 nothing. Uh, did you see any flaws? Did, was there anything that, that stood out to you from Florida State's game plan in the first half? I think it just comes down to the fact that they had three turnovers in the first 15 minutes, which is yeah. crazy to think about for Florida State. Um, but from that, you only got, I think, 10 points? You didn't get enough points from that. You should have scored more. And because of that, I think that's where Mike Norvell said, hey, we need points on the board no matter what, even if it comes down to it being three. Um, and, and I think the way that the defense was playing at that point, they just wanted to keep scoring um, and not worry about leaving points off the board as much. So in that yeah. sense, I, I I see where you're coming from, but I, I, I don't have that much of a problem, especially considering that they won the game because 2020 hindsight, come on. <laughs> Very true. But I, I, I just thought that in the moment that that might be the thing. But the way that the defense was playing, I can sort of understand where Mike Norvell was coming from. And William, we talked about him constantly on the show. Jermaine Johnson once again shows up absolutely wrecks havoc, especially in the first half. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, who we thought was just going to come in guns blazing last week, uh, he gets rattled in the first half. He clearly is off his rocker in the first half. Uh, what did you see from FSU's defense that kind of got him off to this slow start and helped FSU build an early lead, which they would pretty much need? I think especially early on, we were winning the line of scrimmage. We went with four down linemen and mostly two linebackers, uh, Kalen Deloach and Amari Gaynor, who are both have struggled at pass coverage at times, but are quicker guys for linebackers. So you, you've got that that tough front. You're winning the, the, the battle at the line of scrimmage. There was a couple of tipped passes early. You were stuffing the run. Um, the, the short passes, the screens that Miami was trying to run there in the first quarter weren't really working. So everything that Miami was doing to try and get their young freshman quarterback settled into this game, it didn't work. You were able to uh, force some turnovers early, as Gabe said, mm-hmm. and be able to mount a lead that uh, <laughs> they desperately tried to hold on to. Yeah, you get a couple of huge plays in the first half that FSU comes away with. One one of the interceptions, I forget who it was, but just ripping it from the receiver's hands there and, and coming away with the turnover that, that FSU, FSU eventually converts into points. They get a 27 lead. And then things sort of start to flip in the second half. FSU gets the ball, can't really do a whole lot. Uh, Miami can't either. But then you get a third down fumble by Florida State in their own territory. I think it was at the 38 in Florida State territory, I want to say, and Tyler Van Dyke and the and the Canes take it immediately down the field and score to get them back in the ball game. Um, just a, just a, a a ridiculous tip pass that goes for a touchdown uh, in the end zone. I think it was on fourth. I think it was on fourth down. They get that, and immediately you start to wonder, Jack. Oh no, this is happening again to Florida State. Yeah, that was a third and goal, but third and goal. Yeah, yeah, but every everything looked like it was going to go back to the Canes' way. Going to be a five game win streak, right? And I like I said, the twenty eight three lead. No one. It just seemed destined that Florida State was to lose, and somehow they've overcome it. Whether it was great defense and some decision making late by Norvell, uh, potentially kicking a field goal, which was not very popular among the fans. There was some booing. Not amongst me. I yeah, <laughs> there, there was there was a f- the late field goal that ended up um, that was the right call. Luke's but, just not a fan of, of kicking field goals. I don't, oh. you know, I'm a fan, I'm a fan of going for it when when the chart says to go any, for it. Any I football that... fan would be, and I'm, no, I'm happy. I, well, I agree. I'm also more of a go forward guy, but like Gabe, you mentioned it earlier with with the hindsight's 2020. But like I'm in in the moment, I'm I'm still like biting my nails, thinking like, is this? I really don't know if this is the right decision. Uh, I was or saying not. hindsight 2020 for me, like being able to say like yeah. this is the right decision. Yeah. Uh, because at the time, I was also 
asking myself the question, is this better? And and like when you're when you're in the first half, when when you were saying you're in fourth and three, even if you don't make it, then you leave them there, you pin them back. So you're playing the field position game in that sense too. But the way the defense was playing, I go back to that in the first half. The, they were just not going to do anything, so might as well just get points. Um, but then at the end of the game, I completely agree, actually, with the with the with the decision as well, because the defense had to show up. They they played extremely well in the first half, so you you see that they can do it. So it's just a matter of them actually going out there and doing it. And he had the trust. He gave them the trust, like he's talked about before. He wants to see their players do it, and they did it. And I mean, it, it was a risky. In a way, it's it's even more risky to, to to kick the field goal because you have to play defense and get the ball back and then score again, which yeah. is not a guarantee. But for them to actually score a touchdown there, it only ties the game. So Miami ca- gets the ball back and they can go ahead and score again. So they can they can put the game away with the drive if they wanted to right there. And, mm-hmm. and Florida State comes up. So William, I'll go to you and and tell me if I'm off base with this. But I will give, despite the fact that I didn't like the initial decision, Florida State. Uh, just to just to recap a little bit, they score to go down uh, twenty to fourteen. They then rattle off fourteen more after that to go up twenty eight to twenty in a game that feels like Miami might pull away. Florida State then goes on a huge lengthy drive in the fourth quarter uh, and get to a fourth down play. I thought in the moment down twenty eight to twenty that they should have gone for it because you don't know if you're going to get the ball back or not with with, with the time that was remaining. Uh, but instead, Mike Norvell decides to kick the field goal. Uh, and go down 28-23, they obviously stop Miami, and they get a, the chance to, to, to go down and score to win the game, and we'll get to that in a second. But I will give Mike Norvell credit. I think he realized that even with the lead early on in the game, eventually Miami's playmakers were going to show up a little bit more than they did. Florida State, personnel-wise, is still at a deficit against Miami. So the fact that I, I, I think it was a message to send to his defense that they weren't kind of going to come away with a lengthy drive where the defense gets to sit uh, on, on the sideline there. They weren't going to come away with nothing to show for it on a drive like that where it had kind of been uh, less than fruitful in the second half for Florida State's offense. Uh, I, I want to get your opinion on, on the decision to kick it instead of going for it there. Yeah, I think the first thing to consider is the situation. Miami had just rattled off a quick six-play uh, touchdown drive to go up eight points, as you mentioned, and, and Florida State had a 14-play, six-and-a-half-minute drive. So at that point in the fourth quarter, you have to just get points on the board, I believe, and, and keep yourself within distance. And that eight-point deficit is tricky. I mean, a lot of people will say, well, that's a one-score game. you got to go for the end zone. But, of course, the two-point conversion is no guarantee either. And even if you do get it, it's still a tie game. So you're most still likely, have to stop Miami. you're still going to need to get another score. So, like you said, have confidence in the defense, take the points, and thankfully Jordan Travis, a miraculous drive to get down back there in that end zone again at the end. And last thing before we get into the rest of the game, they hadn't scored in the second half at yeah. all. So for them to even get points, it kind of gives them – a little bit of confidence to go into the last drive whenever they do get the ball back. Yeah, absolutely. And so they kick the field goal. Miami immediately responds by, I believe, going three and out. I want to say that yep. Florida State, yep, they, they forced a three and out. Uh, and so FSU gets the ball back immediately. Jordan Travis to Ja'Kai Douglas for a huge, almost 60-yard play to get them right into Miami territory. Uh, and then a couple plays later, and this is where uh, I want to tie it into the re- like the rest of the season and what we've seen. I, I mentioned it's been a roller coaster of a game that kind of resembled how the season has gone. When you get to that fourth and fourteen play, Florida State 
in Miami, Miami territory down to their final play of the game. It reminded me a lot of how this season kicked off against Notre Dame in overtime. Uh, Mackenzie Milton getting sacked on, on, a, on a what could have been a final play. They ended up kicking the field goal there. Uh, but Jack, on a 4th and 14, Jordan Travis to Andrew Parchment gets them to the one-yard line on the play of the year, the one that everyone <laughs> is going to remember from this game. Uh, what was your reaction to Jordan Travis's ability to kind of evade in the pocket a little bit and then hit Andrew Parchment on a play that, if I'm Miami and Miami's defensive coordinator, I'm hanging, I'm, I am retiring today, saying I don't know, <laughs> I don't know football anymore. If 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 I can't make a play like that, what was your reaction to the play? Uh, it, was, it was, it was incredible. What the back's against the wall in the worst way. You in a in a lar- large scale, to go three and seven and to lose your fifth straight game to Miami, what that would do for the program, what we'll be talking about here. Not even that, like blowing a 20-7 to lead. Like you blowing, had a double-digit yeah, lead in the second half. Blowing that big of a lead. And then I I remember that play in slow motion, just Andrew Parchment coming down with it, and yeah. you just think like it's end zone and then it's down to the one. And some people in the booth are thinking that, or some people I was in the press with Gabe are thinking um, like, oh, that, that was almost better that he didn't even score there with the one-yarder because they can milk some time, and that they did. And that that that's the that's the play of my FSU time here here at Florida State. That was the play of my that that was it. That was that was your season. That was your that's next season. That's everything yeah. you want to build on. That's for the recruits. That's for everybody. Yeah. And it comes together right there. Travis right into parchment. Twenty four yards, one yard, uh, and then yeah, the rest is everyone knows. So. Hey, I I will be lying if I said I wasn't a little nervous about the goal to go situation there. Yeah. <laughs> of potentially getting a holding or a false start. Like, I, let's let's please. I do remember uh, twenty thirteen there or it was probably earlier in um, in Atlanta against Tech. They were on the one yard line and had the chance. They were down um, to Tech and they had the chance to punch the game away, get escape a loss in Atlanta, and they fumble it. So yeah. I've I've seen this happen the other way. And, and fortunately for the Knowles, it, it came right for them today. Yeah, absolutely. So Jordan Travis punches it in from the one-yard line there. FSU then goes for two, gets the two-point conversion. Jordan Travis scrambling into the end zone. They go up 31-28, and then Tyler Van Dyke and the Miami Hurricanes scramble to get something together, and then it all culminates with the midfield catch there uh, by Miami. And uh, Van Dyke goes to spike it. He does not have enough time left. I was in the stands and I, I I was with my girlfriend and she was asking what like why are they calling the game I'm like uh, it's like the the NBA thing where you have to have point three seconds or more in order to tip a ball and it's the same thing here like mathematically speaking they made the rule that they you have to have a certain amount of time left in order to spike the ball and still have a chance for another down uh, and Miami does not they call the game and FSU comes out victorious 31-28 over the Miami Hurricanes. They improved to four and six on the season, Gabe. And I want to ask you what this kind of a win does for this program moving forward, because up until this point, we were look like the North Carolina win kept depreciating in value as the season went on. Uh, I think this is by far Florida State's best win of the season. Uh, I want to get your opinion on on what this means for the program moving forward. I agree with you on the Notre Dame point that. Both games were similar in the the drama, the the way that the game was back and forth. But I also think it's it was similar to the Syracuse game where FSU got off to a good lead and then they let them come back. Um, right. And then at the end of the game, you don't you don't really know how FSU won, but they what they did. <laughs> yeah. And I I think this is a great win. Uh, I really do. I think 
I really like the the UNC win this past this uh, last couple. Yeah, you know, but this one it's just against your rivals, and and it, you have to get those wins because those are the ones that really matter in the grand scheme of things. Even though it's just one win, and I think it also matters a lot because it comes at a point in the season where you've lost a couple times in a row, and the morale is not there, and then you almost lose it after coming off to a good start. And then you, you, all the all the bad momentum, all the negativity, all the doubt is in the stadium in that moment. But then you pull through, and the the trust that Mike Norvell had on this team, and the the everything that he's talked about and preached about, it seems like it it is actually paying off. And we won't know until next season for sure. But until then, there is this game that people can look back and say, "Hey, they did it against Miami in a really convincing fashion." And I mean, Jordan Travis, I, I don't know how we haven't talked about him, but he was so clutch. He was yep. so clutch. He showed so, so much guts in that final drive and the, and the whole game, really. And the way that he's been battling amidst all the, the issues in the offense, I that's the one thing I just keep coming back to. I'm like, man, to think back when, when the season started and we were saying, hey, think McKenzie might be the guy, and, and Jordan's just pulled through for this team time after time and – yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about him. It was awesome, especially because last Monday, leading up to the game, Mike Monroe was like, he's still not 100% uh, recovering, from the forgot flu, about that. Re- recovering from the flu like that. Yeah, it's certainly the signature moment for my time at FSU in the four years that I've been here. One of the few signature wins that Florida State has gotten, uh, and their only win against Miami since I've been here. But it was also a signature win, William, for a lot of recruits. A lot of recruits that were in the stands this last Saturday, just an electric atmosphere. You couple with that with what has been going on at the other programs in the state of Florida, Florida almost loses to Sanford. They give up more than 50 points. And then Miami comes out today. They have just fired their AD, Blake James. Probably overstayed his welcome there. Manny Diaz might be on the door, uh, on the door out as well. So what does this win do for Florida State moving forward with their program? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, if yeah. you if you had told anyone that after that loss to Jacksonville State that Mike Norvell was going to be the safest job in, in the state of Florida, <laughs> that they were going to the Florida State was going to be the strongest program in the state, no one would have believed you. Yeah. And that that Notre Dame game was big. You can call it a moral victory, whatever you want. But it's hard to go around touting to recruits and to your fans that, you know, a loss was your biggest game of the season. To beat your rival in the way that you did, this is the signature game that you go into the offseason telling everybody about. Yeah. Jack, do you have an opinion on that as well? Uh, no, <laughs> other than that, they still have an opportunity to get one, another one over their rivals in two weeks from Exactly. We'll, we'll break that break down get, that. Don't want to get too far ahead of BC. Yeah, here, we, we don't want to get too far ahead, and that's what I'm going to do because – or that's not what I'm going to do because we are going to wrap up the first half here. Florida State – goes on the road to a Boston College team that's kind of been middling this season a little bit, but it's another opportunity for Mike Norvell to get another milestone under his belt in that you can beat a rival at home and then the next week go on the road and still play with that same energy and focus that you did. So, Gabe, I'll ask you, does Florida State come out on top uh, in Chestnut Hill next week? Yes. Yes, final score? (laughs) Um, Let's go go lower scoring. Let's go 24 to 13. 24-13. Uh, William? I don't want to bring the, the the party down, but I've not been impressed with the way that Florida State has come back from games like this. Yeah. Um, Boston College is incredibly well coached. Their quarterback, Phil Dracovic, is back off injury, and he's looked good. I, I say Boston College probably takes it 24-21. Jack? Uh, 
to go off Boston College here, they had a horrible start to their ACC play going 0-4, but have come back with good wins over Virginia Tech, over the Techs with uh, Virginia Tech, and a tight one with George Tech. Yeah. And with the game in Boston in in middle of November, I still think that win is going to carry over, and FSU comes out 28-21. I got the score right last week, so hopefully I can write that score. Also, prop, props to Jack for getting the score exactly right, 31-28 like that. Yeah, I... I struggle with this one a lot. Boston College has lost to teams that they should be expected to lose to. They lost to Clemson, NC State, uh, Louisville, a couple others. Get wiped off the but then, floor with but Syracuse. They get wiped off the floor with Syracuse, but then they also beat teams like, like well, Virginia Tech isn't a world beater to say the least, but they also have pieced together wins that they're supposed to. The game's at Chestnut Hill, but I had the sneaking su- suspicion that a win like this does wonders for Jordan Travis's com- uh, confidence coming off of the flu that he, he, he suffered. I think that Florida State pulls out a win here. I'm going to go 21-17 Florida State. I think the, the front four for Florida State continues their hot streak right now, and they get the win up, setting up a huge game in Gainesville that could decide who gets to go to a bowl between the Gators and the Seminoles. That is going to do it for the first half of Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, and we will be right back after the break. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. All right, we are back here for the second half of Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, joined by Gabe Tisnes, William Haynes, and then also joining the panel, Benny Moses. Benny, how you doing, bud? When was the last time you were on the show? Uh, I was on the show 2020, but I was doing it from my house. (laughs) I had to call in. Uh, because the uh, the booth wasn't open, I don't think. Yeah. So glad to be here. Uh, very excited to share my opinions, and <laughs> let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're glad to have you back. I hope you. you what have you been doing in the meantime? Oh, uh, just busy with school. Yeah. Um, following sports. You know, my Braves just won the World Series, so I'm very happy go. about Congre- that. Congrats! To you I was on able that. to go to uh, Game Four. Nice. So it was very exciting, once in a lifetime opportunity, and hopefully they'll be back next year. Yeah, I know, I know a couple of Braves fans that that uh, are friends of mine that. The one game that they picked to go to was Game Five, game five. potential clincher, and that's of course the one that they go to that they, the Braves lose at home. But congrats to you on that, and congrats to everything you. that you're doing there, and we're glad to have you on the show. Uh, but we move on from Florida State. Talked about uh, them in the first half and their awesome win against Miami. First of all, Benny, did you have any comment on on how Florida State looked this weekend against Miami? They looked good. Um, I'm glad they pulled out the win to uh, to end my student career. Um, <laughs> But, no, uh, they really look solid. Um, very hopeful now that they can put themselves in a p- position to go to a bowl game. Um, Jordan Travis, anchor of the team, very glad he's on our side. Yeah. Um, and we'll see what happens against Boston College next week. Yeah, we shall see indeed. Do you have a prediction for us? Um, I'm going to go very low scoring, probably 2017. 2017? FSU favors. FSU, nice, nice. Well, Zooming out a little bit, as we always do here in the second half of the show, looking at the landscape of college football and, and what went on this week, uh, not a whole lot of shaking up in the top ten, except one undefeated does, in fact, go down. One of the few remaining undefeated teams, Oklahoma. Oklahoma finally falls after playing with fire for basically the entire season. A lot of close, close wins that they've had under Spencer Rattler and then Caleb Williams. Uh, And this last one is the nail in the coffin, basically, for their playoff hopes. Uh, They lose on the road at Baylor in a game that many said coming into the week is going to be uh, ripe for an upset. They lose 27-14 against uh, a now 8-2, number 11-ranked Baylor team. Uh, In in, in a game where they they struggle early, 
Baylor gets up, has a, sort of a commanding lead for most of the, the second half there, and then they go back to Spencer Rattler, and they just cannot muster anything. Their offense has been in flux for basically the entire season. I don't think that they ever had that signature kind of Lincoln-Riley role that they went on that we've seen the last couple of years with, with Baker and Kyler and, and Jalen Hurts. And then last, even last year with Spencer Rattler, where they, they seemed to be in a group. That never really happened this year, even when they made the switch to Caleb Williams. So first, Gabe, uh, does this uh, does this loss surprise you at all for Oklahoma, and does it kind of end uh, any hope that they had this season of making the playoffs? Well, I kind of called it last week. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> yeah, oh, I do. Oh, yeah, I do. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, the writing was on the wall for this team. Um, people have talked about their defense, but they're still a Big 12 team. <laughs> I don't buy into that. And Spencer Rattler is – not who we thought he was, as simple as that. And I, I didn't think that they were going to do much uh, in the college football playoffs, even if they made it. So it's better for us as fans not to be able to watch them now. Yeah. Hey, Willie, do you have an opinion on Oklahoma and how, how their season's kind of uh, taking the turn? Yeah, I mean, I thought as as early as the Texas game, Oklahoma's days as an unbeaten team were numbered. Turns out Texas was not nearly as good as we thought, but they had a murderous row here to finish the season. They had Baylor and Oklahoma State as two of their final three games. And then they were going to have to play either Baylor or Oklahoma State again in the Big 12 championship. So to think that they were even going to come out of that stretch unscathed, I think, was unreasonable. Uh, they they played probably the first legit defense that they had faced all season, Dave Aranda and Baylor. And uh, they found a way to shut them down. And, and I, I, I agree with what everyone said, that Oklahoma is probably out. Even if they win out, it's going to be tough. But like I said, with Oklahoma State and the Big 12 championship on deck, it's going to be hard for them to even do that. Yeah, I, I think it's really just the fact that the the games that they won, d- despite the loss, the games that they won just weren't impressive leading up to this. And then you have the hardest stretch of your schedule coming up here. Uh, it's going to be tough for Lincoln Riley and the Sooners. Uh, but, Benny, I'll go to you next for this this next uh, outcome that happened. A really close game in College uh, college Park, or not College Park, sorry, State College, uh, between Michigan and Penn State. Uh, Michigan ends up, survive, ends up surviving, kind of setting, not directly setting up, uh, the game between uh, Michigan and Ohio State. Obviously, Mich- or Ohio State has a way bigger game this w- uh, weekend against Michigan State. So, uh, just kind of getting your feeling on how you how you view Ohio State leading into this game against Michigan State. Uh, what you think of them? Well, um, honestly, I don't know too much about the Buckeyes. Um, yeah. It's definitely going to be a big rivalry game. Um, one of these teams is definitely going to represent the. Um, I don't know if Michigan has it in to them because they haven't really, you know, yeah. pushed into that Final Four in the past few years. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's going to be one of these teams uh, that represent the uh, the Big Ten yeah. um, because you know that big win uh, that Michigan State had over Michigan mm-hmm. um, will probably prove um, to be you know the the push that gets them or Ohio State into it. Yeah, uh, William. I think I think the one thing, the and the reason why I think Michigan fans can still be hopeful. They play Maryland this week. One of those two teams is getting knocked out in Ohio State, Michigan State, uh, out of the Big Ten race. Obviously, if Michigan if Michigan State loses, that puts them at two losses uh, in the Big Ten and sets up an Ohio State Michigan matchup. Uh, which of those three teams do you have the most confidence in to represent the Big Ten and potentially get to the playoff out of the Big Ten? 
I mean, it's got to be Ohio State, right? Yeah. I mean, they've got the track record. I don't think they've looked quite as good. I mean, C.J. Stroud is going to be a good quarterback, but as a true freshman, he's certainly taken his lumps. Uh, the Michigan-Ohio State game is uh, at Michigan in, uh, in Ann Arbor this year, so that uh, is in the Wolverines' favor. But I think ultimately you just got to trust the team that's done it and been consistent, which is the Buckeyes. Yeah, well, we shall certainly see. Uh, really quickly, though, this this next coming week, obviously you have Michigan, uh, Michigan State, Ohio State. Uh, but another couple – Couple of weird games. Uh, Gabe, is there a certain game that you're looking at on the schedule? Maybe like a, a Georgia Tech Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame, in my opinion, can still is like on the outside, maybe looking in if they can run the table. We're gonna have to have this Notre Dame conversation again. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I thought I thought we were done with this. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that this weekend, and also Oregon at Utah. Oregon's currently number three in the college football playoff rankings still. Uh, they get a win last week, and then they play at Utah, which is always a tough atmosphere. Oregon's dropped a couple of games to them uh, in the past couple of years. So we shall see moving forward into college football week 12. Real, real quick, yeah. did you guys have an issue with Baylor kicking the field goal at the end of the game? No, I, I didn't because in the end, he did it for purposes where Baylor – and their chances of winning the Big 12 can come down mm-hmm. to the point differential or the 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 amount of points scored because that's how they determine their tiebreakers. So I thought it was a perfectly rational decision by Dave Rondo that just happened to be sweet for them as well to rub it into yeah. to Oklahoma's uh, face. I, I agree. Is there a cause for concern for Alabama though? Because you know they they have to play host to uh, Arkansas, who's in the top 25, and then go to uh, to Auburn and face the Tigers. Um, and it's a really close race uh, in their division in the SEC. Uh, with Ole Miss right behind them. Yeah, I don't know. The fact that they have the tiebreaker over Ole Miss already. Arkansas, I'm not too worried at all about them. We saw what Georgia did to them, and Alabama's a, a very talent, uh, like-talented uh, team uh, adjacent to, to, to Georgia in that regard. So I don't have a, I don't really have an issue. I think that we're going to get a, a college football playoff game in Atlanta when, when Georgia and Alabama both get there. And also Auburn has a Bo Nix banged up now. They dropped that game to Mississippi State. Really unimpressive way to lose that game there. Uh, but we shall see. So moving on from college football, though, uh, FSU basketball. We talked a little bit previewing their season on the show last week, uh, and they officially tipped off. I don't know if it – I mean, William and I were were at the game on Wednesday as they start off beating Penn 105-70. A great, great opening game, opening atmosphere uh, to the Tuck, and a great finish in the second half to Florida State for Florida State after kind of a rocky – first 10 minutes or so that 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 Florida State played Malik Osborne comes out of the gates on fire post 18 and 13 double double uh, most points he's ever scored at Florida State William if, if I'm double checking that it's his best game as a seminal exactly. hands down exactly his best game as a seminal so Gabe I'll go I'll go to you first and what you took away from Florida State's kind of dominating opening uh, to the season there you know, it's good for them to finally get to it because this is going to be another very anticipated season for them. And, yeah, it was it was a little concerning for them to not start off the best way, but I think it's just down to chemistry, and, and that's just timing. So even for them to, to win out with 105 points, you don't really see that often from, from Hamilton's team. So um, it was impressive, but I, I didn't put much stock into it, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Benny, uh, I know that you had some, some opinions on the first game as well. Uh, I mean, they beat they beat a Penn team that literally was six feet under last year. They had to, they had to stop playing basketball, basically, and they bring it back. They might need to consider putting the, the program back under after Florida State drops 105 on them. What did you think of Florida State's opening game? 
Yeah, I, I also attended the the game, and it was really good to start off one and zero. And like you said about the rocky start, it's it's normal. It's gonna gonna happen for any team uh, that starts out uh, the season with you know, especially with a few key guys, a few new key guys um, that can help. And you know, we really looked good. We, as any ranked team should do against a non-ranked opponent at home, we should go out there and and you know, blow them out as as we did. Um, the intensity was there. We were out rebounding them, and Malik Osborne definitely a monster on the glasses. Um, uh, picked up right where he left off, and you know I I was watching Caleb Mills, kind of fell in love with him and his his work ethic and his style. Very, he's a hustler and he was defending very well, and also looking forward to seeing what Matthew Cleveland brings to the table as well. Freshman yeah, from uh, Atlanta. Absolutely. And, William, how do you think that they kind of uh, meshed together in that first game? And we're going to get to the, the, their second game on Sunday in a second. But just from a first glance, how do you think that the team kind of uh, meshed together after bringing in so many new guys? I was really interested to see how to, how Coach Ham handled that. I mean, there was times where all five guys on the floor were newcomers, and it seemed like they, they gelled pretty well, albeit it's a Penn team that hasn't played a real game in quite some time. But that's the kind of environment that you can get those guys settled in. And uh, the, the newcomers, Cleveland, Fletcher, and, and Worley, the main ones, I thought got off to a nice start, get them comfortable and uh, moving forward. Exactly. And so then <clears throat> Florida State starts off the season hot, winning 105-70 uh, to 70 against Penn. Then they go on the road on Sunday trying to extend a, a – Great winning streak against the, a Florida program down in Gainesville uh, to eight games straight. Uh, Leonard Hamilton would have won, except for the fact that uh, Florida State falls to Florida 71-55. Your final, uh, really, really a struggle in the second half for Florida State to garner any offense against a stout Florida defense, except for the fact that they led 30 to 28 heading into the the first half or after the the first half, I should say. But in the second half, it was a different story. Uh, Malik Osborne once again has to lead the team uh, in points scored and, and rebound or sorry Anthony Polite led in rebounds but he kind of has to pace the offense a little bit something that he hasn't been completely used to in his time at Florida State uh, Anthony Polite who Florida State was relying on a lot to score and shoot uh, doesn't score until late or halfway through the second half I want to say and then you have guys like for Florida like Colin Castleton just wrecking havoc uh, leading the Gators to a victory over them so what did you see from Florida State in their first true test of the year, even though they're still warming up this season? You know, this is a young team. This is a, a lot of new players coming into a, a new system that Coach Hamilton is developing as he goes. Uh, they're not really playing the traditional five. They're, they're playing small ball. So for them to struggle early is not something I'm very surprised, but at the same time, it's not something I, I would like to see. Um, and I think that the thing that I, I, <laughs> I just want to point out is the fact that Keontae Johnson – got the game ball Very and true. I mean that's just what you love about sports yeah absolutely and for those who don't know Keontae Johnson obviously for Florida last year collapses on the floor in almost to this very same day against Florida State last year he was on the coaching bench for Florida in, in their victory over there uh, William what did you see from Florida State's performance against Florida uh, compared to what they showed in the first game of the season yeah, one thing that, that concerned me was the lack of a big man. I understand small ball, that that's their style, that's how they want to play, but uh, Balsa Koprovica on his way out, who was going to replace him? Was it going to be Nagome? Was it going to be Quincy Ballard? Neither of those have really gotten significant minutes. They've got a couple of seven-footers, but none that are real physical in the paint, so you, you don't really have a real rim protector. I mean, as you said, anytime Anthony Polite is leading your team in rebounds, that's probably not a great uh, sign. And anytime you play a guy like Castleton for Florida, just a real physical big man, 
he's going to hurt you, and he did. And uh, I'm going to be interested to see, uh, strategically speaking, how they go about uh, in the future defending guys like that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that, that Florida State likes to play small ball and kind of leans on that early on, considering they're one of the longest teams in all of college <laughs> basketball. Usually that, that that plays to an advantage for Leonard Hamilton, but that's certainly something that they need to adjust. I wonder if that's just a game-by-game struggle that they're going to have. You go up against guys like Anthony DeRuji and, and Colin Castleton, huge, just towering dudes for Florida. They both put up 15 points uh, for the Gators there. Uh, Benny, what did you think of Florida State's performance uh, and how they, they came off of a win? Yeah, honestly, um, just nothing was going our way, our way really, and uh, we needed to involve Malik uh, more. Definitely, he's going to be our our focal point, our nucleus of the team. That definitely on the boards, um, but also I wanted to point out that they offensively rebounded us uh, seventeen to nine, as well as outblocked us ten to four, uh, and that says a lot about getting rebounds, um, getting second chance opportunities as well, and and that that Colin Castleton man, he had our number that day, and we just could not do anything about it. Yeah, absolutely, and he certainly developed the more that he stayed at Florida just watching watching that program from a distance, for me at least. Uh, he, Castleton has certainly been way better than he was when he was uh, recruited out of Michigan uh, in the transfer portal there. But Florida State, they get Tulane later this week on Wednesday, and then they are play at North Florida against uh, in, in, a, in a tournament against uh, Loyola Marymount in the Jacksonville Classic, uh, which they, 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 they usually play in. So... Certainly, be interesting to see how this this uh, team responds. I think that they're, they're going to be fine in the long run, uh, to say the least. But we'll move on from college basketball and wrap up the NFL. The week that was in Week Ten, certainly not as hectic as chaotic as it was last week with all the upsets that we saw. But we did get the return of Aaron Rodgers, Gabe, and the Packers. While they didn't put up an absolute uh, light show on offense, they went seventeen nothing. Shutting out the Seahawks that had Russell Wilson returning to action. Uh, the first time Seattle has ever been shut out with Russell Wilson at the helm. I want to ask you what you thought of Aaron Rodgers' performance coming back from his COVID stint and what you think of the Packers as a whole in the NFC moving forward. You know, both quarterbacks came into this game not having played their last game. Obviously, Russell Wilson miss- missing more time than Aaron Rodgers. But, I mean... It was clear as night and day that the Packers are the better team. Nobody's going to argue that. But when it comes to the larger NFC picture, I still don't see the Packers as the best team going forward in, in January. If they get home field advantage, that'll greatly, greatly improve their, their odds. But I can't trust this team. I really can't. I mean, we've seen the Packers get the number one seed before. We've seen them do great in the regular season. But this is a team that I... I haven't seen them in big moments. I, I, I can't put too much stock into Russell Wilson getting shut out, coming from injury, as well as the Seahawks just not being the Seahawks that we know them to be. Um, so I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how A.J. Dillon keeps uh, right. gaining more reps and getting, getting the trust of Matt LaFleur in that offense. Uh, but even then, like the, the rest of the, the offensive weapons for Farron Rodgers, I don't know if they're going to be there for him when it matters most in the, in the playoffs. Well, well, you mentioned a good point because – A.J. Dillon's going to have to step up. Aaron Jones leaves the game with an MCL sprain. He's going to be out a minimum of two weeks, it seems like, for the Packers there. Uh, William, I want to ask you, after watching this game, do you hold those same reservations? You and Benny, really, you guys can chime in. Do you guys hold those same reservations about the Packers that Gabe is talking about? 
I don't. Um, you get to this point in the season where all the contenders are, are more or less bunched up, eight and two, seven and three. You, you look for a team to kind of separate themselves. One of the boxes that Green Bay has checked in when you look at playoff contenders is can they win in different ways? Since week three, the Packers have not allowed more than 22 points, but they also have not scored more than 27. So it's not the team that we maybe thought going into the year that Aaron Rodgers is just going to blow the door off of teams, but they're playing good physical defense. They can run the ball, I think, even with A.J. Dillon moving forward. That will continue. So, especially getting into January, you've got to be able to win a game more than one way, and that's something the Packers have shown they can do. Yeah, yeah, and I I agree with William too. Um, they're probably going to be the team to beat. Um, you know, because of what what they possess, they have an MVP quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. Um, uh, Devonte Adams, one of the best wide receivers in the game, and also AJ Dillon too. I mean, he's he's a solid back for what they have for for the replacement for Aaron Jones. And honestly, the biggest thing for me is the home field advantage. They're most definitely going to win the the uh, NFC North, um, and eighteen and two at home in the past two and a half years is insane. Yeah, absolutely. And and they'll get the Rams at home in a couple of weeks, so that's when we'll actually get to see which is the better team right now. But that doesn't matter because what matters is who is the better team in January, and I think it's going to be the other team, not the Packers. Yeah, we shall see. I, I think the one thing to point out more than any other team in in the NFC. Uh, the Packers have shown that they can get a signature win without most. Like, we forget the Packers went into Arizona against arguably the best, the other best team in the NFC in Arizona, and beat the Kyler Murray-led Cardinals without Devontae Adams. That was not a Colt McCoy game. That was straight up Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers going on the road and beating them. So when you look at uh, their chances to get the number one seed. If they don't pull away from the Cardinals or Rams who will beat each other up in their own division, they're going to have the tiebreaker over the Cardinals, and they get the Rams at home. They can easily win that game and have the tiebreaker over the Rams and Cardinals who they're contending with there. So we'll see moving forward. I And one more point on top of that. We forget, but if they play anyone but Jordan Love, if they play any other quarterback, <laughs> if Aaron Rodgers in that game, they beat Kansas City. On the road there, they that defense has been playing lights out despite missing guys like Jair Alexander uh, and Zadarius Smith. So we'll see moving forward. I think the Packers really made a statement on their defense yesterday, just absolutely shutting down Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Am I there. arguing for your Bucks? And are you arguing against them? Is that what I'm hearing? So we're gonna get into that right now, actually. <laughs> uh, so I go from endorsing the Packers to absolutely condemning the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who probably put up the weirdest game out of any a team yesterday. Uh, Buccaneers fall to the Washington football team. Just take that step. If you had read that statement before the, the week started, uh, you would have called me crazy. But that's exactly what they do. They lose 29-19. Taylor Heineke and the Washington football team offense go on a 10-minute drive to end the football game. They do not give Tom Brady the chance to get the ball back down three. Uh, and... Tampa Bay loses their second consecutive game. They come off of the bye week after losing to the Saints, and they lose this game to fall to 6-3 and three on the season. And I'm wondering, Gabe and William, uh, what, where is your concern level right now with this Buccaneers team that we all kind of uh, hold high, to a higher standard because they won the Super Bowl last year? Yeah, that, that's my preoccupation with them is the expectations. Last year, they came in with expectations as well, but by the end, the, by the middle of the season, those expectations were squandered. So now they're kind of being leveled out, but at the same time, they still have so much talent. They still have so much experience with Tom Brady. 
um, and actually, you know, winning the Super Bowl. So because of that, I'm not very concerned, especially with the Saints, you know, not really pulling away the way that they should have in the last couple of weeks. Um, so I think they're still going to win the NFC South. I've kind of resigned <laughs> that fact by now. But um, even in the playoffs, I, I think they are a better team when it comes to winning one single game than, say, the Packers. Gotcha. Well, you know, you, you keep calling to que- into question the, the, the Packers' ability to win. Like, they came within a, a, a Matt LaFleur decision to go for a <laughs> field goal uh, of going to the Super Bowl. I don't have any question there. Uh, William, when you look at the Buccaneers, though, like, this clearly is not the same team that performed down the stretch last season and ran through the playoffs on their way to a Super Bowl. The, the defense has not played to the same standard, and the offense has kind of tailed off the last couple of weeks too. So what's your, where's, what's your read on the Buccaneers so far this season? Yeah, I mean, potentially the easiest differentiation you can make from last year's club is the, the Bucks were 7-5 and five last year going into the bye. They didn't lose another game the rest of the way and uh, route to a Super Bowl victory. Uh, and you compare that to this year, come out of the bye, you come out flat, you know, a, a false start on the first play of the game, you, you lose to, to the Washington football team in a, in a bad way, they go on a 10-and-a-half-minute drive where your defense shows basically no heart in trying to get them off the field. And uh, as you said, the offensive line is not really playing at the same level. Brady is under a lot of duress. And uh, until the last couple of weeks, I don't think people were willing to have this conversation, but Tom Brady sneaky has not been having a fantastic year. It seems like he's missing uh, throws every week that kind of have you scratching your head, a couple of interceptions uh, that, that give you the same feeling. And with all the injuries on the defense, it makes life uh, really hard. Uh, and you, you put those two things in tandem and uh, – they're, they're struggling for sure. I would disagree with Gabe a little bit, too, that they're just going to run away with the division. The NFC South is maybe the strangest division in all of oh, sports. Yeah. You have no idea who's coming out on top until probably the last week of the season. The Saints are definitely going to figure things out, and the Panthers um, with, with Cam Newton, who knows what kind of juice that's going to give them. So that's my biggest concern is now the division being in play because you got to get some home games in January this year if you're Tampa Bay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I thought Brady was the odds-on MVP. He is. I, I was going to refute what William said about Brady having a sneaky bad season. He he has, up until this week, he was, I thought, my vote for MVP. He had played that great and was that big a reason that the Bucks were winning games like that. But this was by far his worst game of the season, I would say. I mean, Saints fans arguing for the Bucks. I, I don't know what's going on in the show. <laughs> Benny, I know really quick here, the last couple minutes of the show, you had a conspiracy theory about the Bucks. Yeah, I mean... This could, I mean, speaking from a Falcons standpoint, I mean, I'm not the biggest Bucks fan, um, but reality may have set in for the Bucks. You know, you got all this star power, injuries, um, teams that could be better than you, um, and there are a few. But yeah, like uh, like William said, the NFC South is a lot closer than than people think. I also I still do think the Bucks will will prevail and win the NFC South. But the conspiracy theory that I had is is it the curse of Brady's 600th touchdown ball that was returned to Tom Brady. So what do, what do you mean what do you mean by that? You're saying that just because Ever Tom- since that happened, I believe against the uh the Chicago Bears, they lost against the Saints the week later by and then they lost again. I'm so not buying it. I <laughs> I think the one the one curse that I actually believe in is the Manning curse, which is still ongoing. It's still a thing quarterbacks are 0 and 6 in their teams when they go on uh, or just players in general, they're 0-6 when they go on uh, the Manning cast of Monday Night Football. Uh, but we'll see about the Bucks. Speaking of Monday Night Football, though, really quick, last minute of the show, Rams 49ers tonight, Odell places mm-hmm. first came for the Los Angeles Rams now. Uh, Gabe, what are your expectations for him? Do the Rams win? 
Uh, I hope he does well because Vance Jefferson is uh, Van up Jefferson? against me yeah. <laughs> in fantasy, and yeah. he's got like 13 points to to beat me. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see him. Uh, I think he's in, in line of field punt returns, so oh, uh, we might see him more than we think, um, especially with Robert Woods being out um, for the season with a torn ACL, I believe. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be a fun experiment. It's just another star in L.A. Um, can't wait. Yeah. William, what do you what do you expect from from the Rams tonight with with Odell in the fold? I think it's going to be an easy win. I think the 49ers are dead in the water. They don't play particularly well at home, and you've got a Rams team that is is not happy about their performance at home against the Titans. They're going to want to come back strong, get back in the win column, and you know obviously still in play for the first seed in the NFC. So this is the game you have to win. Yeah, absolutely, Benny. Yeah, anytime anyone goes to a new team, it's a new start, um, new people to to build chemistry with. And he went from five and five to seven and two, so just like that. Um, I hope he does well. Um, yeah, there might be a lot of drama that could come with him because he has a, a little bit of a past, but I don't think that that should do anything. I will him. say, from Matthew Stafford going from the tr- Detroit to LA, and now OBJ going from Baker and Cleveland to LA, it's gonna be really interesting to see them gelled together yeah the the first legit like maybe top 10 quarterback that Odell has played with in his career it's going to be interesting to see where that goes yeah and I'll be interested to see what role I actually think Van Jefferson slides out of the Robert Woods role they trust him to do that a lot more than they're going to trust Odell to do anything I think that he he is going to take the top off the defense most of the time and we'll see if Matthew Stafford can hit him more than Baker did because that certainly did not pan out but that is all the time we have on tonight's show. Uh, from myself, Luke Hazen, from Gabe Tissis and my co-host chair, William Haynes, Benny Moses, Jack Oliveira in the first half, Scott Clemens and Sebastian Angeliano in the booth for this one. This has been Tomahawk Talk. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.